sermon today comes from James chapter 2. I would encourage you to take a look there and follow along in uh, the Pew Bibles or on your phones um, as we're going to be kind of just marching right through this text. Um, Unlike some of the other passages we've looked at in James, I think this is a text that's really not that hard to understand. Uh, You can piece this together and understand what James is saying. The, The problem with this passage is it's pretty hard to apply. Uh, You have to take a pretty solid look at yourself and at your church and ask some pretty difficult questions. And so we're going to march through the text and then try to wrestle with some of the questions that this text asks. For a little bit of context in James chapter 1, we see James's emphasis on how we need to be doers of the word, not just hearers. If, if all you do is hear God's word, all you do is hear the faith, but you don't do anything about it, you've missed out. It's not a, a matter of works versus faith for James. It's just a matter of if you really have faith, it changes you. It changes how you look at yourself, and it has to change how you look at other people. What he said at the very end of chapter 1 was that true religion, true observance of the faith, involves caring for the widow and the orphan. And keeping yourself undefiled. So so there's keeping yourself clean, but there's also serving those who are broken and who are lost. Now we have to remember whenever we break a text up into chapter and verse, that the original text didn't do that. So when James wrote, he just wrote a letter. It wasn't until much, much later that it's divided into chapters and verses so that we can find stuff in it. Um, But so he's continuing the same thing. He's continuing to talk about works about making sure you're a doer of the word and not just a hearer, and making sure that you are observing the faith, that you're caring for others. And so he begins to unpack that here in chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 to start. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are, are, not, the rich ones, are, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? So James, continuing his point here, looks at Jesus as the Lord, the Lord of glory. So ruler of all things and worthy to be praised. And his expectation is that you hold on to your faith. You cling to it. You stay with it. If you're really going to do that, it has to turn into action. And the specific action he says here is that you can't show partiality. You can't show favoritism. You can't show distinction between people. And James explains it by telling a little story. A man comes into church, into the assembly, and he's dressed up nice. Now, we don't, we don't wear a lot of rings, but, but in those days, if you were rich, you normally had a ring 
that had a, a symbol on it that you could then make an impression and it was like your signature. Okay, it was the equivalent of credit card. If you were wealthy, you could go in and you could make a deal based on your ring because they knew you were good for it. The, the phrase here in Greek could also be translated gold fingers as if he has multiple fingers with rings on them and he's showing off. Okay, like if you've been watching NFL coverage and you see guys that have multiple Super Bowl rings and they're wearing them all on TV, it just looks ridiculous. That, that's maybe the implication here. So somebody comes in dressed all fancy for church. Lots of rings, lots of jewelry, nice fancy suit. And a poor person walks in, dressed shabbily. Okay, they're, they're wearing not just jeans, but not nice jeans. Okay, and maybe they smell a little funny. Maybe something's a little bit off. They're filthy, they're dirty, they're unclean. So what do you do with these people? Well, in James's example, you, you say to that wealthy person, you say to that good-looking person, hey, come here, sit over here. And to that poor person, you say, ah, there's a spot in the corner there for you. What you need to understand is that we don't do this as much anymore, um, but it used to be that where you sat in assemblies meant everything. Okay? Do, you, do you remember junior high? Lunchroom in junior high, and there were, the, there were different tables for different groups, different sects in school, right? The, the, the cool kids sat at this table, and the athletes, and in high school, you, you still had it. Um, that's how all parties were in those days. You could tell where you stood in the community by where you got to sit at the party. The closer you got to sit to the head table, to the host, the better off you were. And if you had to sit in the back, it was worse. In fact, they would often not have a lot of seats. So you would have a table that maybe had some seats or some benches or something. And then if, if you weren't important enough to have a bench, you might have to sit on the floor. Hence this phrase, sit at my feet. So you, you bring in this very well-dressed person. You say, hey, come on, welcome. But to this poor person, you say, sit over there. Don't, don't sit here. Don't, don't be that important. Be on the outside. You make distinctions between the people. And for James, you have become a judge with evil thoughts. Because the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. God's kingdom, we, we don't even get the word kingdom anymore. You might think the government of God, the presidency of God. Um, I mean, you, you could try to insert something into that. But God's rule, God's Commandment, God's democracy, God's way of ruling this world is for the poor. Not just for those who don't have money. Remember in the, in the Beatitudes, the, the one gospel says, blessed are the poor. And the other one says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not just talking about poverty here. It's talking about brokenness. It's talking about people who are broken, who are hurt, who have been through a lot. God's kingdom is for those people. He chooses to go to those people when he comes on this earth. Jesus is crucified because of the stories he tells and the people he hangs out with. He upsets the whole social order because he sits with people you're not supposed to sit with. And, and James also says, I mean, in, in those days, the rich are exploiting the poor. You look at them and give them favor, you're excited they're there because that makes you look good, but the reality is they, they're exploiting the poor. The rich are abusing the Christians at this time. The, the, the Christians are the poor, they're the broken, they're the outcasts. 
And the rich aren't doing well by them. Remember Jesus' words, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So when you play this favoritism game, you end up subverting the, the system that Jesus used to subvert the system he was going into. James explains it more. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, verse 8, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For we know, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do commit adultery, but uh, if you do not commit adultery, but no murder, you've still become a transgressor of the law. The word sin is a great image. It's actually, in Hebrew, an archery term. Okay, and so sin is the amount that you miss a target. Okay, so if the target's a bullseye, right, and you miss a little bit, you've sinned. If you miss a lot, then you've really sinned. But, but sin is the amount that you miss the bullseye, amount that you miss the target. See, sin is sin. We like to have, lab- we like to have sort of levels of it. Like, like, I hope you're here today and you've never killed anybody. Okay, that's like bare minimum. I hope you didn't kill anybody. hope you didn't do that last week or ever, frankly. Right? Um, but maybe you lie. Just little lies, but they're still lies. Um, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you've never killed anybody, but you're pretty angry, and you get angry very quickly. See, the, there's the, the, the law is that we're supposed to be perfect like Christ. And so whatever we sin, we sin. We miss the mark. And if Jesus is the mark, I got news for you. You may have never committed adultery and never killed anybody, but you are not perfect. In fact, you're a long way off of where Jesus would have you be. And so for James, partiality is, is a sin. It's missing the mark. doesn't matter that it's maybe we wouldn't consider it a big sin. It's still a problem for James. And, and what, he, what he means is, if, if you're showing partiality, you still don't get it. You still don't get what Christ has done for you. Because if you really got what, you, what Christ has done for you, you would understand that other people that you're not showing, showing uh, uh, grace to, even though they, they're sinners and you might look at them as being very dirty or very poor or very broken, they're just as far off and just as in need of God's grace as you are. You have failed to realize how much you need God, God's grace if you act in a lot of judgment on other people. So, verse 12, speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James returns again to this phrase, the law of liberty, that you used to be under the law and you were trapped in it. You were stuck to it. Paul goes so far as to say you were slaves to the law. Because when you're trying to follow the laws, you've got to follow all of them. Follow all of them. You've got to keep up with every law. 
But now we're under what they call, what James is calling the law of liberty, which means Jesus fulfills all those laws for you. In fact, he doesn't just fulfill the laws, he makes up for the fact that you don't fulfill the laws. By dying on the cross, the punishment that you deserve. So you're free. You're free. You're out of the game of the rat race of trying to be good enough. So since you are free, show mercy. Mercy is more than forgiveness. I I read this the other day. Um, The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery defines mercy as compassion in action. Compassion in action. And I love that definition. Not just that you care about somebody. Care that they don't deserve. But that you act on it. That you serve. The early Christians were attacked. Treated viciously. Their faith only survived because they radically cared. Their faith only survived because they radically cared for the people in society that nobody cared about. The widow. The orphan. The disabled. That we see in the early church is how mercy triumphs over judgment. They were being judged all over the place. But by showing so much compassion, they went out. They keep going. It's not that hard of a text to understand, I don't think. But I think it is a hard text to think about and to apply. Because I'm not sure we're always real aware of how partial we are. We could easily talk about race and ethnicity here, right? Sunday morning is one of the most segregated times in our country because a lot of churches are of one ethnicity or the other. But what about other partialities? You know, a lot of times the church is a place where people who go to church go. And if you're a person that doesn't go to church or hasn't gone to church a lot, it can be a little difficult to walk in because we use funny language. It doesn't seem funny to you because you know But we can use funny language and we can sing funny songs. You have to know when you're supposed to stand up and when you're supposed to sit down, where certain prayers are, how you do all that. It's not always easy to be an unchurched person coming into a church. And don't we tend to like good people? We tend to like clean people, clean cut people, people who are going to serve, who are going to sacrifice, good givers. Those are the kind of members we would like to have. But somebody who's really broken, who brings a lot more problems than they bring a lot of answers, that need a lot more support than they can give, those are tougher people for us to bring into our midst. What we really want to be, what we really want is good Christians. But that's not always what God sends us. In fact, that's not generally the people God sends his church to go to. Now, I want to say something about judgment and mercy real quick, because I think our society is really messing this up. I don't think that mercy and judgment are opposites. In other words, I don't think that for me to welcome and accept you and be in relationship with you, I have to accept and affirm everything that you do and everything that you say and everything that you're about. In fact, I think that the fact that our society is pushing that is stupid and ridiculous. I don't even like and accept all the things that I do. I do all kinds of stuff that I don't agree with. And I think all kinds of things and say all kinds of things I don't agree with. Why should I have to agree with everything that you do? 
I think that our society is really pushing that, and I don't think it's right. And what's happening is churches are either not welcoming at all, unless you believe this and you act like this, or churches are welcoming of everything and affirming of everything. And I think the Bible is somewhere in between, right? Jesus, who said, judge not lest ye be judged, also does a fair amount of judging, right? He's pretty harsh on some people, particularly religious people. Paul, who wrote in 1 Corinthians, one of the greatest pieces ever written in the history of humanity on love, also really gets on their butts about some of the things they're doing. There's a place for judgment. There's a place for saying, no, you're doing something that is not in line with the truth of the gospel. Even James here, who's talking about mercy triumphing over judgment, is also passing pretty strong judgment on those with partiality, right? I don't buy into the reality, to, to, to what our society tries to say, that we have to affirm everything that people bring to them, bring with them when they come. But I do think we need to be, show no partiality. That you can come here no matter what your background is, and no matter what you believe, and no matter what you say. It's not easy. No, it's quite messy. Because people can smell, people can make noises, People don't know how to act. People can disagree with us. People have different opinions. But church needs to be somewhere where they can go. And our lives need to be places where people can find welcome and mercy. Up here on the screen is my little brother Gideon. Some of you have met Gideon over the years. He has Down syndrome. Uh, uh, he is adopted. And uh, uh, I've told this story before, but a, a few years back, my dad was working in parachurch ministry, so he wasn't in the pulpit every Sunday. And so we had the opportunity as a family, I was in college at the time, to visit churches and to, to, to uh, try to find a church home. We'd never done this. We'd always just gone where Dad was the preacher. And I was amazed multiple times how many churches we were asked to not be in. Because my little brother makes a humming sound especially in a place that's unfamiliar like a new church. So he was really making this real loud hum. And uh, um, sometimes we'd be asked to leave. Other times people would just get up and get away from us. I remember one distinct time we were at a church. I won't name the church. But the pastor knew my dad. And the pastor asked my dad, okay, so they know each other, first name basis, asked my dad to take my brother into the cry room for the sermon. Now, if you're not familiar with the cry room, cry room is like glass that we, if you imagine the back wall, there's a room back there that has glass so that the sermon can be heard and you can see everything going on, but uh, the noise from the crying babies can't be heard here in the worship service. Now, the problem with that is that my little brother still makes that noise. He still hums. In fact, he hums a lot. He's always going to hum. So if my brother's going to go to that church, do you know where his place is in that church? In the cry room. Separated, for, separated from the community, separated from fully being a part of worship by that plane of glass. And in fact, he has Down syndrome. He can't sit back there by, myself, by himself, which means my mom has to sit back there with him. So imagine 20 years of going to that church, let's say, and you've never sat in worship. You've got to sit behind the glass. That's partiality. Never letting someone fully come into the community. 
because it's messy or it's noisy. For James, the truth is that if you show partiality in your life or in your church, then you miss out on something. Not only does the community miss out on the voices that aren't heard, but James is saying that you end up, if you show partiality, you end up being the person behind the glass. That you end up outside of really fully understanding all that God's doing in your life. You miss out. When you don't love, you miss out on how much you are loved. When you don't accept others with their flaws, you miss out on how much you have been accepted with your flaws. When you don't forgive others who have wounded you, you fail to realize how much God has forgiven you when you have wounded Him. You put others behind the glass, but you also put yourself behind the glass because you're never going to fully get it. You're never going to fully live into that law of liberty. You're never going to fully live the life that Christ has ordained for you. And James is challenging us to wade into the messiness of sharing our lives with broken people and also to accept the reality that we ourselves are broken. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words of James. Help us to be welcoming in our community and in our lives to those we think are different. Let us be open so that we may understand fully all that you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.